talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Hello. And welcome once again to more like The Worst Wing, the show where here in 2022, we take a look back at formerly Aaron Sorkin's seminal TV show, The West Wing, from a bit more leftist socialist perspective. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And today's episode is entitled Impact Winter. We are deep in season six currently, and we are sort of starting to rumble a little louder about the upcoming primary but Mm -hmm. we are still definitely not in election timeline no and the writers are scrambling (laughs) and it shows so before we actually get to china let's start with the cold open because we usually like to start on the cold open so we've talked before about how in the west wing trying to schedule vacation is a recipe for instant disaster that will inevitably yank you back to the office and not let you get your vacation. Well, it turns out there's sort of a corollary to that where this is not vacation, but if you assure someone that, say, a press conference is going to go easily and smoothly and routinely, that uh, something will then call to interrupt and make you rejudge your assumptions about how smooth things were going to go, which is exactly what happens with Annabeth, where she's going to do her first press conference because everyone else is in China. Toby's in China. Normally Toby would do it. And she's like, okay, it's real easy. I'm just going to go up there and, you know, go over. Here's what they're doing in China today. Real basic stuff. And then they get the call uh, that (laughs) the president's MS has flared up and he can't walk anymore. (laughs) Yes. If you'll recall from last time, Currently on Air Force One, things are really bad. They are going really Mm -hmm. badly. And Josh and Donna are sitting around the cold open just, like, chilling. It's literally singing Monday, Monday to each other, which I I feel is the writer's clumsy attempt to try to be like, see, they're cute together for when they inevitably hook up next season. Yes, and it's, I mean, it's fine. It's all just like... Sure, it's whatever. It's whatever at this point. It's a good comedy beat to set up the Annabeth thing of like, everyone's everyone's chill. It's, it's a real chill moment, and then the whole world comes crashing down on them when they find out Bartlett's MS has flared up. I do like that their solution, or like the first thing they say is, get Leo. And it's yes. like, okay, yeah, sure. I mean, I guess that's fine, but Leo isn't a part of the administration, so to speak. No, like, he doesn't he have doesn't, any authority. He has no official position. He is not chief of staff anymore or anything, but given that, really, it's just like, we want John Spencer in here because we need him for some scenes later with Josh. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, within the logic of the White House in the show, it makes no sense for why they would want Leo, other than, like, I don't know, he's old. Maybe he can tell us about health <laughs> issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean... And I, I, I get it. It's like he's the, the voice of experience that you can lean on hard in a sure. crisis, maybe. But, uh, and it, but like, isn't Josh also that? Right. Like, isn't, he's isn't, good at stuff. Isn't CJ the new chief of staff because she's the one who you can now lean on in the crisis? And shouldn't it be call CJ is the note and not get Leo? Well, I also... I. I think part or the of it implication is, that CJ is just way too busy to deal well, with. Well, no, but CJ's on the plane, so right. CJ's in China or on the way. To yeah, China. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think mm. I think the the thing 
that happens here is we are now separated from this by what 17 years 18 years i think mm-hmm. there is a there's a generational shift in how communication between people is handled right because like you need you someone know, physically yes there. yes yes <laughs> i think there's in in today's world if this happened you would just be like i need okay, like get two on the cell zoom phones call. or get on yeah. a zoom call yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so i think get, that's get the secure zoom zoom yeah. call started kind yeah. of thing so you're right, you're right. This is an age where cell phones were, like, just getting popular, and, like, even Leo, like, barely is comfortable having a cell phone, but has to because he's, like, a government big shot. But you're right, yeah, it's it's a bit of a time and capsule sort of yes. issue. There was a time where connecting a phone call to China would have been a, a certain technological hard. not not necessarily like turbo hard but like it is not yeah. just as simple as pushing a button on google not, chat not as easy whatever. as it is now <laughs> yeah. precisely yeah this is the age of aim and icq still you know we don't oh, have seamless seamless skype integrations and zoom and and all these things that you know make it easy enough for the pmc class to to push one button and get what they need done this was the age of unix and message boards and only the turbo nerds understood the computers yes yes i'm going to go hop on the something awful forums and contact the president (laughs) exactly (laughs) so that's our cold open which all takes place basically just to undermine annabeth and and make the white house start scrambling uh so now for this first segment we mostly want to focus on what happens in china so they get to china they do get there we have a fantastic scene where the hydraulic lift that would work to get the president's wheelchair off Air Force One is having some sort of technical issues, so they're stranded on the runway for a while, for like an hour or two, longer than scheduled. And finally, Bartlett gets fed up with it and orders Curtis. Curtis, by the way, uh, really stepped into his own this episode from having like basically no dialogue before to gain like multiple lines. Uh, gets Curtis, the new body man, the new Charlie, to physically carry him off Air Force One and into uh, the presidential motorcade. Yeah, it's really nice. Like he's, it's, it's great. <laughs> he, he's like a tree of a dude, and he's yeah. just like, Curtis, how much can you bench press, even though a bench press wouldn't be the useful metric for carrying a dude around like this. But he's just like, can you, can you just pick me up and get me the fuck out of here? It's and he's good. like, yeah, he's like, I could, I could do that, sir. <laughs> yeah. Curtis has like a good old boy thing going for him that I'm in love with. And just the whole time Bartlett is like making jokes about like, oh, the, I hope someone wheels that wheelchair over. And Curtis is like, I sure hope so too, sir. <laughs> well, so it's good. I just like the scene. It's good stuff. Yeah, we we're, I'm down with Curtis. So they are, as they are landing, they are managing the expectations for the summit mm-hmm, pretty mm-hmm. frantically because they're going to have to scale back, obviously, and Bartlett is being stubborn about mm-hmm. the His fact doctor, that it must continue. Yeah, Millie, the Surgeon General, is correctly saying, like, hey, you know, fatigue is going to be a real concern. You should really pace yourself and, like take frequent breaks, maybe take a nap here or there, and Bartlett's like, no, fuck that, I gotta be strong and represent America and machismo, blah, blah, blah. Well, and speaking of American machismo, like, they also come straight out with more of the inscrutable oriental stereotypes here, where it's just, they're they're metagaming out the fact that it's like, we have to allow them to impress us with their majesty or whatever, and he literally says that 
you can't do this or else it will result in lost right. face. Right. Yeah, like, only the inscrutable Oriental has the concept of embarrassment. Yeah, where they have to allow China to, like, pamper them, therefore they build up enough face meter, if you will, uh, <laughs> that then they can resist the uh, the loss of it that happens when uh, the president asks for, like, North Korea talks is sort of the underlying assumption mm-hmm. that that's what's going to make them, quote-unquote, lose face, uh, and that will deplete said face meter. Uh, so you have to build it up by letting China be nice to you. Yeah, like, the, like that. the president's going to execute his limit break once the face meter <laughs> reaches full. And then the Chinese will be owned, but not really owned because they've got enough face to withstand the attack on right. the Korea summit. Yeah, if we own them too hard and you send the face meter into like a negative, then like, I don't know, they declare war on you mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bad things, bad things happen. <laughs> So yes, that's in full swing most of the episode because they talk about like details of like we must allow them to hold the, you know, the first meeting in this grandiose hall and they have to come in and welcome us and what and, like diplomatic that's protocols like every, fine. That's every stupid diplomatic country though. Yes. Like that's not just China. That's all of these stupid fucking diplomatic trips where we have to lay out the full pomp and circumstance of the country to show like what an impressive country it is. You know, that's like how the game is played. And it's just done a little more racistly in this one because you do yeah. have... I, I do really like that they give Kate Harper all the lines yeah, in Chinese. Yeah, she can speak so they Chinese. Have, yeah, yeah, which is great. Um, and <laughs> Toby, as you mentioned here, is doing the classic just speak loudly and slowly at them in right. hopes of them understanding. Right. They'll understand your English if you just yell it loud enough at them. The standard American translation strategy for any foreign language. Yeah, and there's uh, some more of the liberal neuroses coming out here where Kate Harper protests that her vocabulary is only the second grade level. And he's just like, words like hydraulic and like chairlift are second grade. And she's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. they are in China. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, they don't have terrible American education Mm -hmm. standards, lo and behold. (laughs) So yeah, we get to the summit itself, and there's a lot of filler of sort of, with the implication that the Americans are getting their ass kicked at this summit by the fact that Bartlett is not at his physical ability to, you know, he's not at his peak and because he is now diminished due to the MS flare-up and that he's not in enough meeting rooms, therefore progress is totally stalled and nothing is happening and the Chinese diplomats are running rings around our, our boys. You know, there's a shot of Toby where he's just like, no, I have to go talk to the finance minister. And Toby's like, oh, no. And it's not... I, I kind of get it because I did a lot of this stage setting in the last episode where it's like we should mm-hmm. expect these things to be like a verbal joust the whole time. Mm-hmm. And oh, heaven forfend, they get the upper hand in whatever conversational thrust they have. But it's it's just not entirely clear why the stakes are so high. And right. a lot of it comes down to, and I think this actually leads into the final thing we want to talk about with this, is a lot of it comes down to Bartlett's chauvinism, where totally. he is just like, not only not only does he believe that he himself is the only one that can make this mm-hmm. like profitable or this progress here, but he also, like, he sort of sets it up such that no one else can. 
succeed. Like, he's just bitching the whole time. Yeah, he's the great man of history, and therefore he is the one who can drive action in this situation, and no one else can. Uh, him and the Chinese president. They're, they're the two great men of history. Yeah, you know? and, and this is this continues and continues and continues until we finally get, like, the kind of the climax scene where Abby well, goes in to bother him while he's yeah, trying to okay, brush good, his teeth. Good. Yes, and, right, good. Mm-hmm. And then physic- he physically collapses, like, falls down, doesn't, like, hit his head or whatever, but, like, you know, falls it, to the floor. It came real fucking close. Yeah, like, yeah, he yeah. could have conked his head on the bathtub there, and then, oops, uh, President Bingo Bob. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, he's okay uh, for the most part. I like this scene. This scene's really good between Bartlett and Abby where Bartlett is finally confronted with like an actual fucking failure that he can't blame on really anyone but his own dumb stubbornness for trying to do this stupid trip while he was having a medical issue. That is that is temporary, by the way. With the, with the knowledge of hindsight, we know that he'll be fine and he'll walk again later and stuff like that. But, so, like, why not just put off the summit I know. to, like, six and, months from now, my dude? Fuck. We And we but, talked about this a little good. bit. But it's good. He fucking breaks down really, really well here. I like it. Like, yes, good acting. We, we talked about this a little last time, where she's like, I... Again, and as I was saying earlier, in terms of stake setting, like I don't, I don't understand why the stakes are so high. And the right. only reason they are is because President Bartlett almost unilaterally demands that they be that way. Like, right, and we, uh, which is the writers demanding they be that way, effectively. <laughs> yeah, and also I, but it works with his character. I will say that he is this sort of like chauvinist strongman ultimately when it comes down to it, you know, the whole thing we have about president God King dad, this is him trying to be God King dad, but then failing because he is actually a mortal man and he's going through something that, you know, a mortal man goes through and it's the first time he really has to grapple with that. Yes, for sure. And also I think to, to specifically you and me and anybody else who has, um, (laughs) any other motherfuckers who do materialism in some way when he talks about the things that he's aiming to accomplish in this Mm -hmm. summit none of them are particularly important it's like this it's it's completely technocratic garbage that they're trying to achieve the main goal they want is setting up a different meeting like that's the ultimate (laughs) liberal thing this is the meeting before the meeting you know and and the pre-meeting has more stakes than the actual meeting (laughs) There, there's something on Twitter this week where they were talking about, like, the DSA is ruining something within, like, national politics for the Democrats. Right. So it's like, oh, no, like, if if we're not careful, they might refer us to a different committee. Like, we yeah. can't allow a referral to committee gap. Like, what? This, how how <laughs> exactly. is this even, you know, like a concern? But like you said, for President Bartlett, this is this is the extent of his politics. This is what he... Right. And the writers, thereby, you know, consider to be critical and important. And and I feel that either the writers feel that the clock is running out on the Bartlett administration or Bartlett himself feels that way where he's adding sort of extra stakes to everything because he realizes he's almost done. Maybe it's a little bit of that as well. Yeah, I'm sure. And I think at some point he says it's like this is the last China summit. Like, for, mm-hmm. and, and for me personally, you know, fine. Like, OK, I mean, it's great. But like you're. 
But yeah, the, still, like, it could have waited six still months. Coming up, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it still could have waited six months, my dude. You know, you're going to be president for like at least a year or something more. Like, it could have waited. So, speaking of, um, at the end of the episode, this whole arc is resolved by what you wrote here as very aptly a Bartlett ex machina at the end yeah, of the so, episode. So they're having this photo op at the end where they're signing him and the Chinese president are both signing something, lots of photographers. And then Bartlett makes a little aside to him about like, oh, it's a shame I didn't get to see old China president Chang or whoever. And then he's like, Hey man, you speak pretty good English, don't you? And then the Chinese president looks at him like, okay and then they just are suddenly are being wheeled off into a private room just him and the chinese president and like the body man who wheeled him and and cj and everyone else is like oh what's going on and then you know we get a great little bit about like the doctor said he would die if he tried to like over (laughs) you know overstrain himself and as like he's pushing past all mortal limits you know behind these doors off screen by the way you can't see it no, yeah, we won't uh, show you him exceeding uh, his we, physical We won't life. show the, excite, the exciting climactic moment of this whole episode. Uh, it happens off screen in a room, but they come out of the room and they have set up talks for a, another meeting. Like I said, this is the meeting before the meeting about North Korea with the implication that they're going to finally, quote unquote, deal with North Korea in some sort of way. All my diplomats are just off screen negotiating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's really is, it's just this deus ex machina moment of like, oh, well, he got in the room with the China president and something miraculous happened. And now all of a sudden the Chinese summit is a mega win. And never mind all the losing that happened. It's actually the ultra bestest win that's ever happened in foreign policy. Good job, Mr. President. And fucking never mind the entire building of the conflict for the rest of the episode too so uh, again and this is absolutely classic it's just like so we're now none of that tension matters because it's just tidally wrapped up in 45 seconds yeah like it could have been interesting to see a failed summit play out and then yeah no he has to go he has to go back and like eat some crow and like there's like a bad pr cycle and stuff like that that could have been an interesting exciting plot to play out but no deus ex machina it's actually great big win handshakes all around usa usa (laughs) they have that's interspersed with like some of the more minor characters like ron canada comes out and says like wow President Bartlett's asking for some statistic. Like, who'd have thought mm-hmm. such a powerful brain would, you know, need, like, you know, you would be able to collate all these statistics together to make right. his argument. It's just like... Right, just by I, himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, asking for basic numbers? Wow. Right, and like I said, like, you know, overperforming the expectations of, like, medical experts and stuff like that. It all, It's all this framing is done to make it seem like a superhuman feat he has just accomplished. When, you know, A, we don't know what he actually did because they had it happen off screen. And then B, it's obviously just the writer sort of just saying like, uh, he won. The end. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's Uh, what happened. And then it it does ultimately have physical stakes on him because the final beat of the episode is them back in Air Force One to fly home. And, you know, Abby's inspecting him and she's like, well, you know, they'll write all these great things about you. And she's like, oh, my God, you sweated all through your shirt. And he's like, yeah, I uh, 
I need a minute, and then he, like, proceeds to almost die or something, yeah. because, like, <laughs> yeah. all, the, all the doctors have to rush back to where he is, and, and all the other staffers see that happening, and we get a dramatic shot of Abby closing the door to the room they're in uh, as the doctors start to do whatever it is they do to save a dying president. <laughs> yeah. So, and... g- good job! <laughs> Getting okay, yeah, the, thumbs up. the North Korean meeting established. Now you're dead. <laughs> I, yeah. So anyway, I he's mean, not actually is, dead, of course, but yeah. And the the thing is, there was no other uh, in the arc of the show. If the writers understand that they need to push the last season and a half towards the primary and then towards the election, mm-hmm. it's like in the arc of the show, this this had to be tidally wrapped up. This was a dead yeah, of end. course. There so, was no yeah. Okay, fine and. While they will still continue White House storylines throughout the campaign and the uh, and the election, I mean there are certain episodes that have zero White House in them, like that the, the the debate one, you know, the the real time debate, which is obviously just entirely on the debate stage. But for the most part, they do keep going back to the White House, and some of those plots end up being the worst of the whole show. <laughs> so I think it's just that the creative energy of the writers has totally migrated over to the election and the primary. Uh, and the, and the White House has subplots just have no more creative energy assigned to them anymore. Yeah, so that's about it for like the China line. Let's yeah. take a brief break, then we can talk about what's happening back at home in the White House while this is unfolding in China. So, while this is all going on, we gave you a sneak peek of how the White House is handling this uh, at the top of the episode when we discussed the cold open. So they go from all is chill and well to uh, immediate, you know, DEFCON 1 freakout mode uh, about, you know, Bartlett's health issue. So they immediately have to try to cover the press angle and all that. And then while they're doing all this, uh, they get presented with yet another DEFCON 1 level issue (laughs) by, uh, what was the actor's name? You pulled it up. His name is Patrick Fischler. Thank you. Uh, Patrick Fischler, who I recognized immediately from the movie Quiz Show, uh, also from Mad Men, where he played the comedian Jimmy Seville. Uh, but he's one of these guys who's been in everything. He was in Lost for a little while. What were some of the other shows you saw? Let's see. I mean, he was in Californication. He played Gabriel. Mm. Um, I mean, gosh, these... he was in the Twin Peaks reboot as Duncan Todd. So he's yeah, just in everything. Yeah, these great character actors who... We bring it up constantly on this show, but this show really is the best at getting these like great character actors who have been in a million other things to come in and play a role. And he does this role really, really well. So he's some NASA guy. And he has found his way to Josh to say, like, hey, normally, like, you guys have, like, the NASA administrator or whatever would be talking to you, but he's occupied. So they sent me, because I'm the project lead on the near-Earth uh, object. object 
near-Earth object observation team. Uh, and when Josh doesn't immediately panic upon hearing this, he lays it out further to say, there's an object coming towards Earth, and Josh helpfully questions, from the sky? <laughs> yes, yes, Josh, that is where objects come from. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't look up, Josh. <laughs> we call it space, but yeah, the sky, sure, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, there is an asteroid heading towards Earth, and based on their calculations, they think there's a significant chance of impact. Uh, so we've got the full-on... Although, to be fair, this is not a quote-unquote planet-killer, technically, asteroid, although it would be effectively as catastrophic. <laughs> yeah, and they're, you know, they're, they, they dig a little bit into the technical details of, like, well, it might hit here, and, like, how big is it, you know, and all this stuff, but it's... It's bad. Yes, it's it's bad in the uni- in the West Wing universe. It's also really weird and completely unnecessary as like a writing thing. Yeah, it's just like this episode is... had like plenty already. I don't understand why this had to get thrown into it. Although my theory, as we discussed before the show, is that it does sort of act as a catalyst to make some characters sort of take action that they normally wouldn't. Uh, which le- which leads into our Donna plot. So, in that regard, you know, as, as like, oh, you know, an, an an existential threat that makes our characters sort of re-question everything, it's okay, but it's really seemed mostly used as a comedy beat. Yeah, it's definitely for levity. It's mostly for laughs where they all, you know, because obviously the asteroid's not going to hit the Earth and end our television show here in season six, episode whatever we're on. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's mostly just theirs to play out comedy beats about, like, everyone, you know, people who actually think the world's going to end. And Margaret does this whole funny thing with the bunker uh, where she's, she's like, well, since the president and most of the people who would normally be in the bunker are all in China right now. There's a lot of open bunker seats. We got to get that sorted. <laughs> and to be fair, I'm I'm with Margaret on this. That's that's smart thinking. <laughs> yeah, and so it's also in the midst of this other things. And I think it's what it's really pushing is to get. And we talked about Leo just randomly being like the mm-hmm. guy that you need to bring in for whatever reason. But what this is pushing is to sort of overload Josh on the like administration side Mm -hmm, to get mm -hmm. him start thinking about like well jesus you know there are other things i could be doing here that's a really good point i'm I'm really considering like who's my guy going forward because he's also there's like he has a meltdown when will puts bingo bob on the podium (laughs) right which this is exactly when bingo bob should be speaking by the way he should be coming out and saying that's what i said I, i heard i heard the president is going through a health thing right now don't worry, I'm okay, I'm healthy, this is what we have vice presidents for, I'm here to be supportive, you know? Like, that's exactly what the VP should do when this kind of thing happens. And Josh freaks out about it like it's, like, like Will's being a fucking Brutus stabbing Caesar. Well, and, and I'm, and I'm, as we are watching this, I'm having the exact same reaction you did to what's the other thing. It's like, this is the perfect time to roll out Bingo Bob and be like, let me remind you, I am a capable and confident, yep. and, young, and healthy. virile, healthy person yep. to take over if the president's sake. And Emma's just sitting here going like, yeah, but that's not the impression that the administration wants to portray. It's like, what are you talking about? That what should be mean, exactly an impression? the Im- 
That should be the exactly the impression the administration wants to portray, that we have a stable continuity of government, of government. And, we, yes. and that we are prepared for any worst case scenarios. <laughs> However, the president is alive and he's fine and, and, you know, we expect a full recovery. But that should that should be the message. And like Josh is melting down about Will sort of backstabbing, but also being like, stop fucking saying that he's always playing tennis on his time off. It makes him look young and virile. And it's like, in inside of this one line, Josh turns it back around like it's a walk and talk. And inside of this 45 seconds of interactions, he's just like, you should stop doing that. But also it's working. And it's just like, right. fucking, right. like, what, why are you so, what is possibly I, upsetting about this? It's real, it's, okay, it's actually kind of funny because now we have the Kamala Biden dynamic, which actually is this sort of hostile presidential VP, you know, uh, relationship that is typically not hostile. So especially in the era West Wing was filmed, th this idea that like there's this in intense hostility between the president and the vice president of of the same administration is is just really funny to me, like that they're always at each other's throats. <laughs> yeah. And I we talked about this a little last last time we recorded when it was just like, why is Will around? so much yeah. and this is look again i get it and theoretically if i'm like galaxy braining this out it's to drive josh to be like what's next like what what right. should i be doing instead right. of dealing with this bullshit yeah leo does that too because josh is like hey i gotta you know i gotta ride out this admin there's so many problems going on and leo's like it never ends josh it just keeps going and that <laughs> yeah that, that also <laughs> makes josh kind of stop short for a minute and go like oh oh, I have to think about, like, the next guy. And then that's that's what leads him to Santos by the end of the episode. And if I'm being honest with myself, I think we sort of, we invade against that theory and that philosophy of, like, I must think about the next guy in the past when it wasn't materially relevant, I think, was right. when we were getting pissed off about it because it was strictly being mined to develop this inner interpersonal drama but Be now, between them and will right yes exactly. exactly because at the time will was making the argument like hey we got to think about the next guy and you guys pick bingo bob so therefore he's the next guy right yeah. and like everyone got super mad at will and called him a traitor and whatever but now that, that josh is doing it and he's doing it with the right guy santos now it's okay yeah, it's it's an interesting sort of reversion to something that didn't work before, but could theoretically now now will pay off again with the benefit right. of hindsight being like now well, this is how it will work. And also Leo brings a fucking spotlight to it where he's like where Josh is like, yeah, I got this crazy idea about some guy. And Leo's like, well, I, I had a crazy idea about some guy and look where I got to. So like laying it out pretty thick there where Santos is the next Bartlett. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Basically, Bingo Bob just kind of does his thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let's talk about Donna. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, though. No, I was just going to say, in his continually ill-fitting suits. Yes, Garrett. very baggy. <laughs> Got the basketball player 99 kind of suit thing going on. Yeah, but he's he's looking sharp. He got a haircut. Like, you know, he's yeah. playing tennis. Maybe he's losing a little bit of weight. Who knows? Yeah, like he actually does. He looks pretty good, Gary Cole does, uh, in this. in this. And maybe it's just because he is bringing up the, the virile thing and it, mm -hmm. it plays with yeah. our expectations. But <laughs> either way, it works. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Donna quits. 
Yeah. <laughs> After, so she had been bringing up for a while that her and Josh need to talk about her job. And in the typical way, when you're trying to get your boss to acknowledge your wor- worth as a worker, uh, your boss doesn't want to have that fucking conversation. And so he keeps putting it off and off and off and off. And then it's like, no, don't worry, we'll talk about it. And then at one point, again, this is why the asteroid is used as a comedy bit. He's like, Donna, the world's going to end, and you want to talk about your job? Yeah. And then so finally, after like trying to have this conversation with Josh about like, hey, we really need to talk about my job. I need to bring up some things. I'm not satisfied with the way my career is going. And like really important stuff, Donna finally is just like, all right, peace. And then Josh comes back to a completely different secretary, uh, a woman I fell in instant love with who identifies herself as Marla Worski. Yeah. Um, and tells her, tells him, uh, oh, the blonde girl? Yeah, she left. I think she got a new job. I have her cell phone number if you need it. <laughs> and, <laughs> She's like, and John, I don't know. I'm just assigned to this desk for a couple days. Do you yeah, need I'm, something? <laughs> I'm just a temp. Who are you? <laughs> I, I actually really love that line because it's the ultimate thing to say to Josh to just like to skewer his ass <laughs> to completely fuck him up and so he just he just stands completely shell-shocked of like oh no the consequences of my actions have all come up to catch catch caught up with me in this inopportune moment uh, so good for Donna uh, and then we, we find out later where she's going but I actually won't spoil that for now but uh, astute viewers who have watch the show before already know but uh yeah she has found herself a new role and we will see what that is in coming episodes i think it's josh is uh completely without donna for the first time ever this is kind of a fun um and i'm as i'm going through my notes and we're talking about this i'm realizing that this is actually a fun parallel um throughout this episode where it um Ultimately, they want to be doing all these things as a team, like their whole delegation goes to China to get mm-hmm. it's a team effort, blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. it then mm-hmm. reverts to a unilateral one man, one yep. man thing. And all of this stuff back at the White House also sort of follows in that vein where it's like, Donna, let's get the team together. Let's get Leo. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. then Donna really tried and ultimately was like. Well, all I've got is myself, so fucking deuces. Like, I'm I'm making this decision, like, again, unilaterally. It's just me. And so you end up kind of peeling those things back away, and it ends up with Josh and Leo sitting and having, you know, kind of like a heart-to-heart mm-hmm. about... At first, yeah. Yeah, at first, and how this, how this shit's going. And he's just like, look, if you, if you know your dude, go and get him and fucking make this campaign happen like you are uh, theoretically josh you are one of the key and most powerful movers and shakers in the democratic establishment josh brings up that he was courted for campaign manager by both bingo bob and hoynes and you know because everyone correctly realizes he is like the current power player in washington who who has the most juice to uh make the next candidate happen how this is the case, I do not understand. But we'll just, just take roll it on it. faith from the you show. You have to roll with it. You have to roll with it. It's the basic premise of the show. If we question that, the whole thing breaks down. So, so 
They have they have the smoke filled room conversation. Literally, yeah, yeah. Leo calls it out. He's like, "Well, they don't let you smoke indoors anymore, and my doctor won't even let me look at a cigar." But this is it. You and I. This is the smoke filled back room. And <laughs> like that's we fine. get to pick. <laughs> I think it it works really well because Josh and it's it's actually they they tease it really well because Leo doesn't know what Josh is thinking. Right. He doesn't he doesn't know He doesn't who even know Josh, Santos. Correct. Exactly. He yeah. doesn't know who Josh is thinking of. So they actually this is one of the one of the triumphs of the writing in this episode is that they never make it explicit. They just have Josh going like, Yeah, like I think I, I think, think I I've got I think I've got this guy and he he collects all of these kind of like perspectives and these things that happen to him throughout the episode. And then at the end of it, he's like Get me on a flight, Marla Worski. And Marla's like, anybody got a pen? Yeah, hang on. Let me write down your details. What airport are we flying to? Which, by the way, again, why I love her. These would be my kind of questions as well. Um, But then, yeah, (laughs) it's really good. Yeah, but Josh gets on a flight, goes to Texas, uh, confronts Matt Santos at his home. I say confronts. Goes to Matt Santos at his home. Uh, They're having Christmas. Uh, there's, we love Christmas. Don't I we? Just, oh my, like this, this scene of like the, the idyllic the domesticity. suburban. Yes. Yeah, the American oh dream. God. It's like the, the literal American dream. Yeah. It right is there. It is physically, almost physically shocking to me. Like a hallmark <laughs> moment. Yeah. Yeah. And like watching this from, you know, my, again, relatively privileged little bubble here right. by myself. I'm just like, Oh, I, I remember the media portraying Christmas like this, where it's yeah, just like, like... like the Home Alone Christmas, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. <laughs> it it was it was really some Uncanny Valley-level shit, where it's like, oh my god, they did think it worked this way. <laughs> right, yeah. He, he's got everything. He's got the white picket fence, the 2.5 kids, you know? The, like the family the gathering dream. around the tree, like the fireplaces going in Texas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> um, well, and, but also, like, you get this actually for Matt Santos. It's another opportunity to make the character seem genuine and yeah. not like, fucking backstabbing. Yeah. How could this guy not be president? Look at him. Look at his lovely, picturesque, beautiful home, beautiful family. You know, this is what we think of when we think of, like, an American family man. You know, like... It, not Bingo Bob, not Hoynes the fucking cheater. Yeah, the philanderer. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this right here, this could be a president, the show is saying. And you know what? I agree. And, I mean, God bless Jimmy Smith's, like, playing this part, too, where he's like, it genuinely feels refreshing, where he's just like, yes. oh, holy shit, he's, he ribs Josh gently, and then he yeah. just takes him inside and he's like what's up like can i get you a yeah. drink or something yeah yeah he's just like a generally nice dude he brings a lot of like fresh energy into the show yeah which is good because we're gonna need it because we're launching on this whole storyline because this is it josh has come to him to be like hey i would have waited for you to come back to dc but there's a filing deadline i'm waiting for mm-hmm. and uh, jimmy smith is like i told you i'm not fucking running for congress again <laughs> and in a really good line josh just goes I'm not talking about Congress. And then they just have this real dramatic, quiet, intense stare between the two of them. And there's no further elaboration, but they both instantly know. 
And like, and that's what we end the episode on. So again, there's a few good moments. Oh, it's quite the powerful moment. Like this is, you know, I'm sitting there like, yeah, all right, cool, good. This is this. I'm on board. Yeah, there's some actual decent moments of intense television in here. Uh, the Bartlett breakdown, this scene here. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, kind of a hot mess of an episode just because the writers are scrambling before this actual primary campaign storyline gets launched which thankfully it literally just launched at the end here yes here we go you know this is like this is them putting their foot down being like this is where we're taking the show (laughs) next yes which is good uh because with the benefit of hindsight as we know the uh the campaign storyline added much needed structure and uh fresh energy to the show but yeah i think i think that pretty much wraps up our thoughts. Oh, I did want to bring up during the smoke-filled backroom conversation, uh, they actually bring up Josh is like, you know, or Leo is like, you know, those old guys when they actually did the smoke-filled backrooms, you know, before there was an, a democratic primary system, uh, they didn't do so bad. You know, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, and like, okay, Roosevelt, sure. Eisenhower, I'll even allow. But Truman... <laughs> Fuck yeah. you, Leo. <laughs> come, come on, dude. Like, and and it's all in hindsight that they have these revelations. We don't need to get into presidential no. history, but like, Jesus Christ. The only other thing I wanted to, let's see, I swear to God I had another note here. Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, everybody's clothes are baggy. I'm always just confused yes. by um, Kate Harper in contrast with CJ because CJ is like crisp and professional and just Mm -hmm. rocking it all the time. And Kate Harper, like her jackets never fit. She's got giant pants on for some reason. Maybe it's an intentional decision to show she's like slightly overwhelmed because she's new. Maybe. I don't know. I'm giving the show more benefit of the doubt than it deserves probably. And unfortunately, I mean, if it was still Sorkin writing it, I would give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. there's, There's also like, and this is going to, again, I'm a white dude saying this, but like there's a intentional level of like desexualization and professionalization that comes in with how you dress people. So that's fine. Um, let's see what else. Also, I do all like, the Chinese suits I, were too big. I do like when the president collapses in the bathroom, um, Abby calls out for their secret service guy and he fucking full on sprints <laughs> yeah, to get to the president, which is, that's the kind of hustle we like to see from our secret service boys. It was a, it was a great, like three quarters of a second shot of this dude just yeah. at a full run, like, full on NFL combine 40 yard dash fucking giving it his all god bless and very like interesting to see like a um physical action in that sense in a show in in west wing yeah Yeah. in a show where it's mostly just people walking and talking at a very boring pace yeah the uh the asteroid ultimately doesn't matter because of course of course no the the show's just gonna end with the total destruction of life on earth that'd be great i wish the show had ended that way yes i figured it out i know where the scientist guy is patrick fischler yeah. He's the guy that Dumpster Lady scares in Mulholland Drive. Like, uh, the, the David Lynch ultimate, like, scary sort to. of horror thing. He's the, the guy. <laughs> That's great. Oh uh, shit. But yeah, I think that mostly wraps up uh, all of our thoughts on this particular episode. Thanks, as always, for listening, everyone. 
Uh, if you want, you can leave your comments in either one of our threads. If you found the show another way, hello, welcome. And you can email the show any feedback you like or questions or comments at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Which is always nice. So thanks again for listening. Uh, everyone stay safe out there. Hopefully, you know, COVID situation and the war situation and all that isn't <laughs> all the, doing the massive damage <laughs> to your mental health. But, you know, take 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 your time and try to enjoy what you can and, and stay safe out there. All right. We'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Send all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on along.